0: mumble, mumble, grumble, gripe Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome, wasting 55 minutes on your Thursday night. I am Josh Hadley. With me is Cecil T Robot. He lost the T H again. Yay! I don't know why. I'm just punishing you by taking away your T H or your, your H E, whatever. I don't know. And whatever. And with us is the Panty Bandit himself, Alex Jowski.
1: Yes, I'm here
0: to contribute nothing today. <laughs> If you want to contribute something, how about contributing an Adam and Eve promo?
1: Go to AdamandEve.com, use the promo code DROME, get 50% off a single item, three free DVDs, free shipping in the U.S., and a free mystery gift. AdamandEve.com, promo code DROME. I haven't had Cecil do that. I'll have to have him
0: do that. He hasn't done that in a while. We'll I know, I've been, you... getting, I've been getting yeah, away he's, with it he's for a been, while.
1: He's been contributing nothing.
0: I've, <laughs> I've been shirking my responsibilities. That's why you lost your HE. Ah... So with Halloween coming up, I wanted to talk a little bit about horror on TV. And I don't necessarily mean like when they show a Friday the 13th movie on USA Network, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But but I'm talking about just like when horror is made for television, the good, the bad, and how there's, how there's been a shift in the last few years. Because I remember when I was growing up, horror that was made for television – They would usually go in knowing that they can't get away with boobs, knowing that they can't get away with gore, so they would compensate with mood and atmosphere. That seems to have changed lately. Do you think, like, with that Dracula series that NBC had a couple of years ago and The Walking Dead being so gory and whatnot, do you think that this has kind of swung back around where they said, we can get away with gore and swearing so we don't need to have atmosphere and mood anymore because personally i think atmosphere and mood create a much better horror environment than gore and violence do
1: oh definitely i do not like gore films really that much at all uh the atmosphere is the most key portion that's what makes a good movie is where they've choreographed that for horror movies at least gore just feels cheap and jump scares don't even get me started on those
2: yeah gore um i mean (laughs) I like a good movie that has gore in it if it is done in the right way, because sometimes it can go, you know, too over the top or they do it too soon or whatever. There has to be a good mixture of suspense leading up to the violence. I I I think that uh, I I prefer for a movie that would really scare me is something with atmosphere like the exorcist you know will scare the hell out of me uh because it's all atmosphere but a lot of (laughs) i hate to do the old kids today uh if you go on like the imdb and you read, you know what is being written about the exorcist you know boring nothing happens and then you go and you look at other movies that are more recent horror movies they'll talk about how oh my god this movie scared the hell out of me and it's all jump scares and it's all just fake atmosphere and it's it's startling you it's not scaring you like a movie like the exorcist will stay with you you'll watch that and you'll just be freaked out for like a week whereas um uh, I, don't, I can't even think of any of the modern terrible horror films that just have jumping at the camera
0: it's annoying I, I think jump scares are what a hack director goes to because a jump scare only works if it legitimately works or if it legitimately has a place in the story for instance like 1982's the thing when that blood jumped out of that petri dish that was a legitimate jump scare cuz not only were you not expecting it but it gets your heart pumping when that happens now you look at the thing remake and you go this thing's all just sh-
1: jumping around corners going boo
0: i, I can't well, stand yeah. boo scares they, they-, they work if,
1: they work if there's you're definitely not expecting it there's no reason to expect a jump scare and a lot of movies nowadays they totally set up every single jump scare if they're few and far between if there's only like one or two in the whole movie yeah
2: definitely if there's only a couple i'll give them a pass if it's if they're done well like that with the thing or another one that i thought was fantastic was um in the first final destination where uh the girl backs off the curb and and, and gets, gets get hit by much. the did not see that coming. Oh, didn't see and, that. I didn't love that scene.
0: I, I'm going to go with Joe Bob Briggs here. The best jump scare and the most legitimate because Bladdy used mood to set it up is the hallway scene of Exorcist 3. That is oh, probably yeah. the greatest jump scare ever because it works so beautifully because, like I said, Bladdy used mood and atmosphere to lull you into such a false sense of security that when it happened, that was the absolute last thing you thought was going to happen because the way Bloody sets the shot up is it's an uncut shot of a distance hallway. The, the shot doesn't move. You just see the nurse going about her duties. You get a couple of false jump scares. By false jump scare, I mean where you expect something to come out and then it's just like you know, the nurse knocked some towels off of the table or something. And then she goes into this room, does something, turns the light off. And again, this is all done from the hallway uninterrupted. It's an almost three-minute shot. And then she locks the door, and then the door just opens and the killer comes out. You jump to the goddamn ceiling! That's how you do it! Not, oh my god, we're looking for the killer, I open the closet. Ah! There he is! That's not a jump scare, that's cheap. I got a
2: good one for you. The frickin' terrible remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy actually jumps out of the closet and says, boo. I just, I openly laugh. I was like, are you, you cannot be serious. He actually did a boo scare for real. It, it,
0: oh, that movie sucked. But then why do you think, because The Walking Dead loves jump scares and they also love gore, The Walking Dead rarely establishes atmosphere. Okay, the pilot episode, I well, thought the pilot was fantastic of Walking Dead because specifically it established atmosphere. When When Rick is on the horse, and he rounds that corner into all those zombies on the street, that's a legitimate, holy crap, because of how it was set up prior to that. The Walking Dead that's on now is just all, hey, you didn't see this zombie quietly waiting behind this tree in this giant open field, because, boo! That's why.
1: I'm not really watching the walking dead for the jump scares in fact i really haven't found it scary since the first season i like the story that's about all i like it for those jump scares they they irk me what uh, i hate more is that they force at least one in every episode they have to force these fight scenes (laughs) with zombies and they're getting more, more contrived as they go along
0: do you agree with me that the walking dead overuses jump scares and gore when they could be establishing mood
1: Yes, they do. They they kind of cheap it out there with the jump scares. Considering the show's not really even about zombies at this point anymore, but they still keep trying to force zombies in there.
2: In the case of this, it doesn't it uh, doesn't bother me as much. Um, I don't really. Uh, I mean, there there are some jump scares, but I think they have a, a fairly decent atmosphere. Uh, it, it's it's creepy, and I think that probably the biggest reason why it has gone a little bit more in that direction is. With the loss of Durbant, he was really bringing a lot of the soul to that show. And I still very much enjoy it. I mean, I can't wait for the new season to start. I, I do think that, um, you know, depending on how this season goes, it might it might be in their best interest to see if they can get him back on the project, because
0: he definitely from did, like, what I've read, how it was very much a pouring gasoline on the bridge and flicking his pick at it.
2: Yeah, uh, well, but I mean, at least at least it hasn't gone like completely downhill and turned into a pile of garbage. I know you don't like it, but I still think that it is a very entertaining show. It's one of the few shows that I actually will make an effort to watch like on the night when it's
0: on, as opposed to TiVoing it and watching it like weeks later. Cecil, your taste is in your ass. (laughs) Cecil, I'm sure you remember one of the first Fox 9 werewolf, right? I have it. (laughs) It was awesome. Eric Cord was just an ordinary college student until he was attacked by his roommate, a werewolf. Now he's running for his life, chased by a bounty hunter for the murder of his cursed friend. In pursuit himself of the evil werewolf Scorzani, the source of his bloodline, a beast who must die to set Eric free, a race against time and the bloodlust that threatens to overwhelm him. Now, werewolf the legend continues half hour horror show was one of the first things that debuted on the fox network and it was a late night show partially because of budget limitations and special effects limitations they had to go with mood didn't always work but werewolf worked look at stuff like monsters or tales from the dark side or shows like that those worked because they couldn't show gore i actually think it's gotten worse with like basic cable, or especially on HBO or Showtime, allowing them to use gore and jump scares the way they do, it hurts the genre. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people are going to be able to see Werewolf. This is just a side bitch. This was supposed to come out on DVD in 2009, the complete series. It didn't because two musicians would not sign off on the new music licensing. Shout Factory almost had all the music licensed, but two artists, both of which they were, they were unnamed, would not re-sign up with Shout Factory without asking for an ass load of money. So Shout Factory actually put out a question on their website. Would you rather us leave the two-hour pilot off and give you the rest of the episodes or cancel it outright? Most people had, I don't know if this was a lashing out or not, their reaction was, I'd rather not have it than have it incomplete. Just screw you then. Was that the right way to go? Um, I I don't know.
2: See, it's a tough thing because probably what the people who answered that, they thought that maybe if they did a, uh, you know, all or nothing, that they would somehow be able to come to a negotiation. Be like, you know, well, stick to your guns and keep trying kind of thing. And unfortunately, this is a case where it might just never happen now. I mean, I like I said, I have a copy. I have a you know, bootleg copy, I have but... a tape from Fox
0: when they first aired in eighty-seven.
2: That's oh, yeah. I I mean, I did. I had them too on VHS, but they're long since gone. Which is why I was at a con one time and somebody was selling it, and I was like, definitely. And it and it's basically just ripped from VHS. It's a shame though that uh, they have to go to that extreme because some couple of jerks are, are being money grubbing idiots.
0: Well, and... now the Shout Factory played this like men. They did not say who it was, but the general consensus is that it's Mike and the Mechanics and Cindy Lauper because both of those songs play pr- prominently in the pilot episode, which is the one that they said they couldn't relicense. So it's probably Mike and the Mechanics and Cindy Lauper that were too good. Or just wanted way too much goddamn money for this. They said, unfortunately, there is a technical issue. Because this show is low budget, the music is married to the audio track. There is no way to pull the music aside and just replace it like you can with other shows that are done today. It's, we lose the entire scene, and a good chunk of an exposition dump happens in a nightclub. So you can't lose that scene. I don't know, this just pisses me off about Werewolf for a...
1: The, the, the only thing I've seen called just Werewolf was the shitty movie that was on MST.
0: No, that is Werewolf. 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 No, werewolf. werewolf was part of the original Fox 9, the original shows that Fox went on the air with. It was a after the news, like on a 1030 at night kind of half hour show. It was honestly, it was the Incredible Hulk with a werewolf. A guy is bitten by a werewolf, and so he travels around the country trying to suppress suppress the werewolf within him while a bounty hunter tracks him down it's it's the incredible hulk tv series from the 70s with werewolves
1: i would actually maybe watch an episode tour of it. it it does seem intriguing
0: sid Haig plays a hobo in one and you've got a thing with for hobos
1: and i i have a hatred for hobos
0: even a sid Haig hobo
1: i'd watch sid Haig play anything he could play you know wonder woman and i'd still totally buy it
0: well so what what are the horror tv series you go to as the top of the game the, the ones that you remember as these were good horror for television.
1: I've got X-Files a go- first few seasons. I was riveted. That was a great show. And it, the, the episodes where they weren't after aliens, where there was some horror element to it. And monster it was, of the week. Yeah. Monster of the week episodes. I loved them. My go to, uh,
2: I I have to agree with uh, X-Files is just tremendous. Oh my God. That, that show was awesome uh, it, because they, they didn't, the, the thing is though, I wouldn't, just call it horror because it had a little bit of everything. There were some episodes that were scary. There were some episodes that had more of a sci-fi bend to them. They had very funny episodes, but, but it
0: tended to be the monster of the week ones were mm-hmm.
2: horror. Yeah, I mean, it did tend to kind of go in that direction.
0: Uh, aside
2: from aside from the X Files, uh, I would go with uh, <laughs> I would go with the Walking Dead. I really do enjoy that show. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Werewolf. I'm
0: trying I... to think of what what else I... is good. I've got to go with, and this one's going to seem a little weird at first, the the 1963 Outer Limits. I grew up watching those, and while that is ostensibly a science fiction show, it's dripping in horror elements. I can't even count how many episodes of the 40-some that had a monster from space invading Earth, or, or it was basically a haunted house tale, alien style, on a spaceship. The old Outer Limits seemed to... Revel in the horror as much as it did the science fiction. And that's the one I go to because stuff like the Zanty Misfits, I couldn't go outside to go get on my bike at night after seeing the Zanty Misfits. That scared the hell out of 10-year-old me. You want to argue that that's not horror? Uh Uh-uh.
1: Are we talking the original or when they brought it back? The the, the, the
0: 1963 series.
1: Because I've actually not seen the original Outer Limits. I've only seen when they brought it back on. Started on Showtime, and I would watch every episode there. Some of them were like an hour long or more. They were like whole movies.
0: Yeah, on Showtime they had a couple of two-hour episodes. But on Showtime they did something that I I liked a lot, episodes that were sequels to other episodes. So sometimes you had continuing stories, even if they didn't, you know, like maybe once a season you'd revisit. Like Like Robert Patrick, he appeared in two episodes as the same character. I thought that was pretty cool that it was an anthology series with kind of continuity, if that makes sense.
1: But, like, when they started, I think their first episode was the one with Bo Bridges and those bugs.
0: Bo Bridges and, and uh, Lloyd Bridges, and I think Jeff Bridges has a cameo, yeah. The Sand Kings.
1: Yeah, I loved that episode a lot. And those first few that they had on Showtime, you know, I loved them. But when they started making regular half-hour episodes, it felt tired. The show was huh. always an hour. Even when they, like, had it syndicated on Showtime, it was still an hour? Was, uh,
0: the show was always an hour with occasional two-hour movie, you know, episode. Like, oh, my God. L- 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 Like, the Showtime series finale with Charlton Heston and Virginia Madsen and that, like, that was a two-hour episode.
1: A lot of the ones that I watched on reruns in sci-fi could have been a half hour because they were just – that. an hour long is way too much of a setup to a shitty half ass twist ending. Before I get to the out of limits, I wanna r I remembered what my go to one
2: was. Friday right. the thirteenth, the series.
0: I loved Friday the thirteenth, the series. I've got all well, I've got all the episodes on tape from the original airings, but I've got the box set of all three seasons. I loved that show. I remember that was always on Friday nights right after the news on my local station. So I'd always end up watching the sports cast. I don't give a crap I watch sports because Friday the thirteenth was on after it. Definitely.
2: Yeah, that show was awesome. But um, uh, as far as The Outer Limits, yeah, I'm with you. Um, There were some really creepy episodes. I haven't seen all of them. I've seen a bunch of them,
0: but uh, definitely a good chunk of them were horror. Well, and then you brought up Friday the 13th, the series. You had a huge thing, a first-run syndicated horror series in the 80s starting with tales from the dark sides pilot in 1983 i'm not going to go too deep into the tales from the dark side history because we'll be dealing with that later this month tales from the dark sides pilot got such amazing ratings remember fox doesn't exist at this point it beat the prime time networks halloween weekend 1983. So Tales from the Dark Side kicked all of this crap off, and then you very quickly saw Friday the 13th, the series, and Freddy's Nightmares, and Werewolf, and they brought Alfred Hitchcock Presents back after this. Amazing Stories, even though that was much more science fiction, was brought up. All of a sudden, you started seeing Dark Room and the Evil Touch pop back up in syndication. These were shows that had been around prior and both had failed. Horror was big again. Friday the 13th, the series, was actually canceled, at the peak of its ratings, Season 3 was the highest rated of the three seasons when Paramount decided
1: to pull the plug on Friday the 13th,
0: the series.
1: Have you ever seen Friday the 13th, the series, Alex? I've seen a few episodes, yeah. I didn't mind it. I kind of liked the ones that I saw. I didn't like that it was Friday the 13th, the series. This could have just been a series they called anything because it stood well enough on its own. I
2: liked it because it was just unique. I mean, the,
1: the the characters
2: were were cool, and each of the items that they were tracking down had a really good story around it. It seemed like uh, they sat down, and when they came up with each item that was going to be, you know, what that episode revolved around, it seemed like they had like a history and a lore to it. It's it, it was almost like. This was a, something that probably could have gone on longer. Uh, they could have shown. Well, it
0: absolutely that- could have gone on longer. I'll, in a minute, I'll get into why it did not. But l- let's give people some history of why Friday the th- or what Friday the Thirteenth the series was about. It was it was about this. Louis Vondrady made a deal with the devil to sell cursed antiques, but he broke the pact, and it cost him his soul. Now, his niece Mickey and her cousin Ryan have inherited the storm. And with it, the curse. Now, they must get everything back. And the real terror begins. So it was basically a fetch quest. They had to get back all of these cursed antiques. One thing I liked is they didn't play morality in this, that, oh, all the people who got the cursed antiques are evil. Sometimes... They are the victims as much as anything else, and they still have to be stopped. Like in a lot of these, the people are using the cursed antiques for somewhat of a valid reason. Like uh, I remember the the remember the vampire episode where Jill Hennessy, I think it's called uh, Night Moves or Night, Night Hunger or something, where Jill Hennessy, before she became famous, was a vampire hooker. In that one, the guy's using a cursed cross to kill vampires with – to stop them killing innocent people but to do it he has to power up the cross by killing innocent people so you kind of go no pun intended his heart's in the right place but the object has tainted him i like that kind of morality play
2: it was cool because there wasn't really anything quite like that on at the time and to have that much depth to it it wasn't just all right they have to go get this thing and it's scary and and like you said uh The person who has it is evil there is this gray area that
0: doesn't really come around too often and that's one of the reasons why it worked so well and the other cool thing about friday the 13th the series was that okay we talked about the gore levels and stuff in walking dead friday the 13th the series that's one of the problems it had paramount got sick of all the complaints for just how graphic the episodes were not just with gore they had really close side boob in a bunch of episodes and whatnot. And you got to remember, this is 1987, broadcast television. Paramount got sick of all the complaints about how graphic the show was. And then finally the episode Hate on the Radio was the show that got them canceled. A guy whose father was in the Klan, and his father spent his entire life in prison because he killed a black civil rights leader in the 60s. So he gets a radio from, you know, Vondredi's Antiques, That sends him back in time. Now, you would think, in a normal morality play kind of story, he'd go back to try and show his father the error of his ways, right? He went back to help his father not get caught killing the civil rights leader. That's really playing on the dark side of of morality, isn't it? Big time. And Paramount after that, because that was also one of the first times, basically even back then, it was difficult to say nigger on television. They said it three or four times in hate on the radio. Paramount just got sick of it. Paramount was just, we are done. We are done dealing with the complaints. You're canceled. We'll finish airing the episodes you've got. You're not, you're no more.
2: The Scarecrow.
0: That's Oh, always the my Scarecrow thing. Oh, from season Scarecrow. one.
2: Oh, scared the crap out of me.
0: That's the one where they so actually good. have to use one of the antiques to stop the Scarecrow too.
2: Yeah, that, that's what made it extra
0: cool. That episode. Oh, it's so good. And then you had the weird episode, Midnight Riders, as well. No antique at all. It's, it's kind of like a fog knockoff of a bunch of bikers that were killed in the 50s that come back as zombies to terrorize the town. And it's just a straight-out supernatural story with nothing to do with, with the of the 13th characters other than the fact that it's their characters. I thought that one was always odd because at least every other one somehow tied in one of the antiques into it. You remember
2: the Chronicle?
0: Chronicle, the the newspaper one from the Sci-Fi Channel.
2: Yeah, I always felt like that was a spiritual successor
0: to the Friday the Thirteenth series. Actually, it had a... I think what you're thinking of is the flat out rip off on Sci-Fi, Warehouse 13. No, Warehouse
2: 13 is is the flat out rip off, but no, the Chronicle for me had kind of I don't know, it, it always reminded me a little bit of uh, Friday the Thirteenth. But yeah, the Warehouse 13 was a, a total rip off, guy girl you know have to
0: well and, and then you've got the old wise man that's mm-hmm. helping them and they've got the warehouse and they've got to get back all in this case alien artifacts that that taint the users and you go oh jesus this is friday the 13th the series for sci-fi screw you <laughs> yeah it, it was
2: it was like a i don't know i i swatched like the first season and i enjoyed it but i kind of uh i don't know i lost interest and i was mad because they canceled the chronicle which was much better One
0: of the other big ones that was out at the same time was Freddy's Nightmares. That's probably the one with the most name value of this time. And also the one people remember as being the worst. They're not exactly wrong.
1: I watched a few when it came out, hated it, and that was it.
2: I, I've i seen them – I saw a bunch of them when they were first on, but I don't
0: remember a whole lot because I never really watched them after that. Well, because the, the thing with Freddy's Nightmares was this was the height of Freddy Mania, 1988. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 had just come out, broke box office records, Freddy's rapping with the fat boys – You know, he's got his own comic books, he's got his own PC games, action figures, a Mad Ball. Freddy Krueger could not have been hotter, so they wanted to get a TV series out there. Problem is, New Line didn't want to pay for it. They shot it on videotape, literally the same stock that soap operas are shot on. So every episode looks like a goddamn 80s soap opera. They couldn't get any high end talent. All of the famous people that they've got on the show were people who weren't famous yet, like Brad Pitt and Mariska, and Mariska Hargitay. And the show reveled in the sex and violence. It was sold as a late-night syndicated show. that You show this after the news. So, of course, stations decided, hey, the ratings are great, let's move it to 7 p.m. So, of course, complaints come in, because this show had actual simulated sex in it that you didn't get away with that on TV back then, did you?
2: I got to say, I was even shocked recently. I was watching an episode of uh, dominion and uh, they had pretty explicit sex scene in there, which I was not expecting them to kind of go that far. I mean, and it's, it's, uh, you know, sci-fi. So it's cable channel. And I think it's on at nine o'clock, but even still, it was one of those things where it took me back because it's like, Holy crap. You know, you don't, you don't see this kind of thing on just regular television. And I mean, they, they edit it in a way that you never really, I mean, you saw I, some I saw a, ass and side boob.
0: I have a silk stockings on tape. It's not, it's, it's not horror, but on USA network. So basic cable in 1991, there's a sex scene in it. they they're, they're relatively close. You know, she's in her bra, you know, they're doing the TV sex scene thing. She even wipes out afterwards. I'm like, this is shot in such a way that they're only just not showing nudity. How the hell did you get away with this on Basic Cable in 1991? Well, Silk Stockings, wasn't wasn't that on
2: late? Wasn't that on like 11 o'clock on USA?
0: Yeah, but still, it's Basic Cable.
2: But still, yeah, I, but I'm saying I the timing always plays a lot into it. And that was kind of the whole shtick with Silk Stockings. It was, uh, you know, we're going to have some chicks in lingerie. Every now and then we'll have a Playboy Playmate on and, you know, see what we can get away with.
0: We go to what is arguably the most famous, even today, I still see references to this, the most famous horror TV series of the previous era, Tales from the Crypt. When HBO debuted Tales from the Crypt, that thing opened the floodgates. I remember watching that the night that they debuted the, quote, movie. It was just the first three episodes all aired together. This thing hit pop culture like mad. Seriously, HBO credits Tales from the Crypt for adding almost 15% of HBO subscribers over the next two years.
1: That's why I got my parents to get it. Because you wanted Tales from the Crypt, right? I, uh, yeah, and I loved that show. Every time it was on, I was watching it. I was set in the VCR and everything, so I could never miss an episode. Even if it was a rerun, i still watch it. Why did Tales from the Crypt hit you then? It was an exciting show. I felt the stories were, I felt they were original, even though I didn't realize until much later how contrived a lot of them were.
0: Well, and a lot of them were adapted in quotes, maybe like, you know, 20% from old EC stories from the 50s.
1: But I liked the self-contained anthology of each episode that, you know, each one was a horror story and they were all horror stories. I don't think, I can't think of a single Tales from the Crypt episode that was not Or, you know, be it actual, you know, your traditional horror monsters like vampires or werewolves or something or just like quirky dead people stories. Like my favorite one was this old dude that retired and he would stuff all these animals and then ended up taxidermy wife because she got on his nerves. I loved that one.
0: The one I remember the most is and I'm sure Cecil will back me up because he and I have talked about this one off mic. The Haunted House episode with Morton Downey Jr., Oh, yeah. That episode is legitimately scary. Why? It builds mood. Yes, there are jump scares, but the jump scares are there because of how the mood was built. I remember I remember the one. Okay, Alex, you, you you pointed out that they sometimes had cheesy twist endings and whatnot. Were there any that you remember from Tales from the Crypt that legitimately made you go? That was a good twist ending and I did not see that shit coming.
1: Oh God offhand I can't think of any I mean I'll probably agree with ones that you point out and go oh yeah now I remember that
0: one I don't remember the title but I remember my, my wife and I were watching this one this this like rich couple is they bought a baby and they're 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 trying to raise it and whatnot you know I remember that one you do you remember the twist ending?
1: Oh my god this is the one that had that Stephen Ray looking guy. I love that episode. And
0: then it turns out that they're vampires. And as they're getting ready to eat the baby, he turns into a werewolf and kills both of them. And I went, oh, did that work?
1: Uh, Wait, no, that's not the one I'm thinking of then. No, I don't remember that one at all.
0: Yeah, all of a sudden the baby turns out to be a werewolf and you go, you legitimately got me. (laughs) In the 60s, the Boris Karloff's thriller had one similar to that where you had Elizabeth Montgomery and Tom Poston their car breaks down in front of a creepy old house with a run by David Carradine, and David Carradine and them are all killers. And then at the end, it turns out Elizabeth Montgomery and Tom Poston are actually vampires, and they kill the whole inbred slaughtering family. And I go, you know what? That was pretty cool. So sometimes the twists can work, but usually I'll agree with you, Alex. Usually they're telegraphed, or they're just bland, or they're just uninspired. You know, it's something you've seen a hundred times before.
1: Yeah, they are. No, the one with the babies I was thinking of had some guy that – like their baby got kidnapped, but he didn't want to tell his wife that it was a kidnapped baby to begin with that he bought on the black market. I don't remember that one off
0: the top of my head.
1: At the end, he tries to fool his wife by kidnapping another baby but gets caught. Yeah,
0: that one I don't remember off the top of my head.
1: Because it's the same baby. He finds the person that bought his baby, and he goes to kidnap it and gets caught. That's awful contrived. It is contrived, but – I liked that one.
0: One of what I think is one of the most underrated, because when Rod Serling had control, it was all about mood, and that was Night Gallery. Night Gallery, when it worked, was a fantastic horror series. When it didn't work, that's when things kind of fell apart a little bit. When Rod Serling had control of the show, he he basically made it as a horror version of The Twilight Zone. Hell some episodes weren't even horror they just honestly read like like rejected Twilight Zone episodes in all honesty and that's not a complaint but then when when Jack Laird the the producer who could overrule Rod Serling took over he got goofy comedy episodes like Leslie Nielsen as a vampire trying to break into a blood bank
1: after hours and you go that's just dumb it's something I've been meaning to check out I actually have not seen an episode of it I saw a few
2: episodes. Night Gallery is one of those shows where when it was on, uh, like we didn't have cable back then, but my cousins did. So whenever we'd go over their house, uh, we would sneak off and try to watch the stuff that we weren't supposed to be you know, allowed to watch. I'll always remember there was one episode where uh, they were trying to kill like this vampire girl and it scared the hell out of me. And we got, you know, busted. So we weren't, you know, what do you watch this stuff for? You're not supposed to be watching this. And so like, God damn it. But then that one
0: always stuck with me. So I only saw a couple, you know, when uh... that you probably saw it in syndication. Then you saw saw it in syndication, brutally butchered. The show was an hour long. And you got to remember back, you know, in the in the late 60s, early 70s, when this aired, probably 53 minutes without commercials. There weren't quite enough episodes to make it for the syndication run where you had to have a minimum of 100. They only had 43 episodes. So what they did was because it was an anthology and you had numerous stories per episode, they cut the series down to a half hour. So now all of a sudden you've got 86 half hour episodes. problem is some of the stories either were too long for the new half hour format. So they'd cut a bunch of scenes out or were too short. This was produced by Universal. So they would pad them out with scenes from Universal movies. But they were still not quite there for the 100-episode syndication run. Now, with the exception of Rod Serling, a lot of the production crew also did the Sixth Sense TV series at the same time, using the same sets, the same costumes on the same Universal backlot. So what they did was they took the hour-long Sixth Sense episodes... Cut those to a half hour. Drove a dump truck full of money up to Rod Serling to do nude night gallery introductions for the Sixth Sense episodes. So now they had 106 episodes to be able to sell to syndication, where it seemed like every other week Gary Collins from the Sixth Sense was store was starring in a six was starring in a night gallery episode. The syndication version was fucked.
1: Well, I guess you got to do what you got to do if you got to get to 100 episodes. Very few people. How many people even noticed that? I, did, I Before I knew all that, I did
0: notice. Why is Gary Collins in every other episode? Oh, because those are from a TV series called The Sixth Sense I've never heard of. That's crazy. I had no idea. Because, I mean, I only ever watched it when it was in syndication. So. Yeah, it wasn't, in, it wasn't until Columbia House started releasing the full, uncut, hour-long episodes on VHS in the mid-'90s. $25 for two episodes that the, the full versions had been seen since 1973 when they went off the air. And to this to this day, the hour-long Sixth Sense episodes have never been released to anything except the crappy Chiller channel, who still cuts it, because without commercials, the Sixth Sense episodes are 44 minutes. Back in 1971, no way was an hour-long show only 44 minutes without commercials. So even the ones on Chiller are still probably missing five to seven minutes of footage per episode. That, to me, is just ridiculous. But Do you remember when Fox tried to get into this back in 2000? Do you remember Night Visions? Oh, yeah. I remember Night Visions. I don't. Hosted by Henry Rollins. It was an hour-long format with two half-hour stories per episode. And, you know, they had, like, Joe Dante and Toby Hooper directing episodes. You had people like uh, Pam Greer and whatnot starring in them. It lasted a total of seven episodes that aired, and then... I think it was either chiller or sci-fi burned off all the unaired episodes later. This was very much a prototypical 2000 TV uh, anthology series. Every now and then you'd get a great episode. Every Every now and then you'd get a great episode like Patterns, which was fantastic with Malcolm McDowell. And most of them were just, Alex, it was like going back to the Tales from the Dark Side thing. You could see the twist ending coming within the first five minutes. That just made the next 25 minutes laborious because they didn't do anything with their format. I found that to be annoying as hell. I just
2: remember it being kind of uh, like a little uh, more updated version of um, the Twilight Zone. I, I, I didn't see a whole lot of them. Uh,
0: I don't know why. It's it,
2: I think I just kind of... Probably uh, it was
0: on Friday nights at 8 p.m. like Fox's want to do for genre series.
2: Oh, God, yeah.
0: Because uh, it had,
2: uh, you know stuff that i would like uh, it's just you know something that
0: uh, fell through the cracks for whatever reason so i only caught a few here and there you you had other ones like in the 70s you had a series called ghost story for the first 10 episodes and then the last seven episodes they changed the title to circle of fear which is just a god-awful title but now to go back to the mood versus gore thing hammer films hammer They always had copious amounts of nudity and gore, especially for the 60s and 70s, right? Do either of you remember their two American TV series? Well, two TV series that aired in America, Hammer House of Horror and Hammer House of Mystery and Suspense? No, I
1: do not. I didn't know they had that.
0: Hammer House of Horror lasted 10 episodes. You know, there were 50-some minutes without commercials, including what turned out to be Peter Cushing's very last acting role. He died shortly after shooting his Hammer House of Horror episode. So the last screen appearance of Peter Cushing was on TV. It it aired over here in syndication again, and then they went all out, because no Hammer House of Horror was made for British television, you know, British actors and whatnot, and with the exception of one flashback in the first episode, they were all contemporary. So they all took place in 1980 or 1981, which was kind of weird for Hammer, you know, because kind of gothic horror was the thing that they were known for, which was kind of weird. And then a couple of years later, they made Hammer House of Mystery and Suspense, which was made for American television shot in England, where they would always have a, a, a big American star in the episode and then shoot it in England for American television, which I don't know to me, it's kind of weird to think of a time when Dirk Benedict was a big American star. But all right. Barbie Benton. When the hell was she ever a big American star? She was in Playboy. Was she ever, like, a movie star or anything, though? Not to my
2: knowledge, but uh, that's that's the only thing that I knew her from.
0: Well, now, do either of you remember the Hunger TV series from Showtime? No, I no. didn't have cable back then, so... But these were also syndicated as well, so you might have caught them late at night on a local station. But the first season was hosted by Terrence Stamp, and then the second season, to really drive the title home, hosted by David Bowie. You know, like, from the movie The Hunger. But and they really miss sell this, especially the DVD. The DVD shows two vampires, very true bloodish, feeding off of each other in a sexual embrace. The hunger. Um, of the forty some episodes, there were like three that involved vampires. Hell, most of them weren't even supernatural. Most of them were like Alfred Hitchcocky style, you know, a guy trying to get away with a murder kind of thing. Way to miss sell that, huh? When uh, when did it come out on DVD? Like
2: recently? Came out on DVD in 2010. Okay, so they were that was intentional. They were trying to get, you know, get the popularity of the true blood crowd.
0: But like I said, this is much more Alfred Hitchcock presents than it is Vampire. Oh, yeah. Of the 40 some episodes, there's maybe three that are even maybe five total that are supernatural based. I found that to be just insulting. Do you guys remember
1: one from back in 2004? Stephen King's Kingdom Hospital? Yeah, I watched some of that. I the f- first episode was Stephen King getting hit by a car. It wasn't Stephen King, but it was that whole story.
0: Yeah, I I noticed that as well. Uh there was no way that didn't he get hit by the car in like 2002 or 2003, so it was still relatively new. I, I really liked Kingdom this. Hospital, honestly. I I really did. And now, do you guys remember back in this is, you know, remember UPN does not exist yet, back when Paramount tried to Paramount and Universal tried to get together and create their own TV network. It was sort of an ad hoc network where they had three different series that were going around, She Wolf of London, They Came from Outer Space and Shades of LA as sort of a off-network network. Do you guys remember that in the summer of 1990? I watched She Wolf of London. That was I She Wolf of London, especially the first 3 or 4 episodes, were a horror series. It got more and more comical as the show went on, especially when they moved production to L.A. and changed the title to Love and Curses. Stupid. But it had the sexy saxophone. I don't care. The sexy (laughs) saxophone sucks. You know what? And that's the biggest insult of the DVD set. I didn't know this when I bought the DVDs. She-Wolf of London, the complete series. They all have the goddamn Love and Curses intro on them. I'm like, you know what? You suck, Universal. You Mm. suck. I, I know um,
2: I know a lot of people had pro- actually I was talking with Lupa about this because that's her like all time go to favorite TV series. I love
0: this show. I mean, seriously, Alex, I would recommend at least watching the, the pilot for She-Wolf of London. You'll go this aired in 1990. This it's is graphic fr- as hell. It's freaking awesome. It's a great show. It until became Love and Curses.
2: No, I I even liked it with Love and Curses because Love and Curses, yes, it did go a little bit more for the camp value, but it still was a lot of fun, and I it. a little like, bit the anti-
0: more. There was okay. a law firm run by vampires in in Hollywood, and they get taken down when garlic pizza drops on their head. Uh, like, Going for a little bit of camp.
2: All right, a lot of camp, but it still it was a lot of fun. I adored the series. I still do. It's one of my all time favorites. Um, I mean, I. I I did not miss an episode. You know, I'm glad I finally got it on DVD. I didn't think it was ever going to happen. But yeah, that came out. But I'm still waiting. Shades of L.A. I liked a lot. But that one isn't coming out for whatever reason. And the other one that you mentioned, they I never saw. They came from outer space. Yeah, I, I missed that one.
0: The only reason you'd want to see They Came from Outer Space is it stars Chainsaw Dean Cameron from Summer School as an alien. Was if it kind that, if of... that doesn't sell you, then I don't know what will.
2: No, uh, you know what? Now that you mention that, though, that does sound kind of familiar. Was it? I mean, it was it was more of a comedy. Oh, right? no, it was
0: a straight out comedy.
2: OK, th- you know I what? I think I do remember a, it now. Right. OK, I think I do remember it now. And and tying in with the with the TV shows, with the, the you know, other network. Uh, do you remember it was CBS where they would run it after the news? They had uh, Dark crime Angel. Time, crime prime time, time after Crime prime
0: prime Time. Yes. Crime time after prime time, where you had "Sweating Bullets," the quickly canceled "Scene of the Crime," "Silk Stockings" because that aired on CBS for one season before moving to before moving to USA Network, and "Forever Night."
2: But I was also, I mean, maybe this wasn't Crime Time after Prime Time, but it, they had, uh, it was Dark Angel. It was about the um, it was about the judge that went out as like Justice. a vigilante. Dark Justice. It was the vigilante. They had yeah, Urban no, um, Angel.
0: Dark Justice was part of Crime Time after Prime Time as well, yes.
2: Uh, Fly by Night with Shannon Tweed.
0: Well, the one that fits into this is Forever Night.
2: It's Forever Night, yeah. Forever Night was, was, actually, I didn't watch it when it was on, but I did catch it. Uh, I think Sci-Fi Channel had it syndicated for a while.
0: Garrett Wynn Davies is a 300-year-old vampire, and now he's a cop in Canada trying to make up for the sins of his past. So, it's a vampire cop show. You need to check out Forever Night.
2: Oh, yeah, I think I, you'd really dig it.
0: I will. Well, and then one I loved was the 1991 Dark Shadows series. The 91 Dark Shadows reboot I thought was fantastic. First of all, I had the biggest crush in the world on Lizette Anthony. When she's in that French maid uniform and doing that that French accent, oh, Christ, is that sexy. But I loved the 1991 Dark Shadows, and NBC did not treat this series well at
1: all. I don't. I've only seen the original Dark Shadows series and that fucking Tim Burton movie. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in this
0: as a little boy. Ah! He's like 10. Unfortunately, NBC decided this just wasn't working, So they cancel it on a monster cliffhanger, with Victoria making it back to the present time of 1991, knowing Barnabas is a vampire, executive producer credit, canceled. Son of a bitch! I just, oh, that that pissed me off. I mean, if you're going to bring the show back and you treat it like that, one that I know you'll agree with me on, Cecil, Brimstone on Fox. Also treated incredibly poorly, but Brimstone was a fantastic show, wasn't it?
1: I was a cop. My wife was raped. I caught the guy who did it, and I killed him. Two months later, I died. I went to hell. (laughs) 113 of the most vile
2: creatures escaped. They think they'll beat the devil. Nobody beats me. So, how am I supposed to send them back?
0: The eyes. Windows to the soul. Destroy the eyes and the damned, get a one way ticket back home to hell. But it's not hell you should be scared of. It's losing your second chance of life on earth. Time to give the devil his due.
2: Brimstone was so freaking good. They didn't know what they were doing. Fox
0: aired them wildly out of order to the Mm -hmm. point where they were constantly making reference in the past tense to the episode that would air the next week because it was so out of order. And this one, I think Brimstone, one of the things that did not help it at all was its pilot. It had a great pilot that felt tonally completely different than the other 12 episodes. The pilot was shot in New York and takes place in New York and is very dark and muted. And then the rest of the series takes place in L.A. They don't even mention the move from New York to L.A., and it's much brighter and poppier colors, and you just go, whoa, some major retooling went on between the pilot and the second episode, didn't it?
2: Yeah, it, uh, it, it went, it, it was, I mean, it still had that color-corrected gray filter over it, but it was a little bit brighter, but it still, it was And the was move such to a... L.A.
0: was never explained. The first episode, they're in New York, New York landmarks. The second episode, they're in Los Angeles, and it's all the same characters, and you just go, Really? You're not even going to bring this up?
2: Well, they figured nobody would notice. But in general, there were probably a lot of people that just didn't even notice. And and it wasn't because they were moving it around and not. And didn't they air it at a bunch of different times like Fox has a tendency of doing? And then it just it fell off the radar, which sucked because it was a good show.
0: Since I'm going to guess, Alex, you have not seen this one. Ceaslin are going to try and sell this to you. Okay. Okay. Ezekiel Stone is a cop in the early nineteen nineties well actually the late eighties and his wife gets raped they can't charge the rapist because of a technicality so he runs into the rapist on a burglary call and kills him in cold blood because he's the man that raped his wife he then later gets killed in the line of duty and goes to hell now a hundred and thirteen souls have escaped in 1998 from hell the devil who has no real power on earth needs a hunter so he gets Ezekiel to, he basically bribes him. I'm going to send you up to earth, you send all 113 souls back down to me, and I'll give you your life back. But there are limitations. Ezekiel is completely impervious to harm, except by another damned soul. But so are they. Only another damned soul can harm a damned soul. If he gets both of his eyes taken out, he gets returned back to hell irrevocably, he looks completely different, so even if he goes to his wife all these years later, who's now happily married, she won't recognize him. And every day, the devil p- screws with him. For instance, he can only have the amount of money he had in his pocket when he was killed, which is $13.13. 13. So no matter, I mean, he can get, somebody can give him $20. bucks, he will wake up the next day with $13.13 13 in his pocket. And that's all he has to try and get around on and buy gas to hunt these people down and whatnot. And then he runs into a police detective who, there's a big plot twist revealing, and come on, tell me you don't want to see this show.
1: Yes, I do. And, and they,
0: they also play that morally ambiguous thing. One of the escaped souls was a Nazi war criminal who experimented on Jews who has used his time in hell to become a better person. He's using the knowledge he got from all of his ill-gotten deeds to try and help medical science today and help cure AIDS. Ezekiel, to save his soul and get his life back, still has to send him back to hell. That's pretty cool.
2: And the devil's played by John Glover.
0: Oh my god, he is... John Glover has so much fun in this role, too.
2: Oh, you can tell. But the whole thing with the the eyes, though, I loved it, because they said the eyes are the windows to the soul, which is why if you get your eyes shot out, you go back to hell. I thought that that was a neat little twist on uh, the
0: saying... Oh, and about four or five episodes in, Lori Petty shows up as his sidekick. Yeah, because she runs the flop house that, you know, he's got to live on $13 with. Oh, and John Glover also, they do hint that Heaven is involved, too, because he also plays an angel, too, which I don't <laughs> know if that makes it creepy or cool.
2: It's a good show, man. They, they just blew it.
0: Yeah, but, but again, that was Fox. one of the reasons it didn't make it, Fox aired them wildly out of order. I mean after the pilot they aired the second episode then the fifth episode then the then the third episode then the 12th episode then the 10th episode then the fourth episode did i mention this is a continuity based show
1: i i want to see this now
0: yeah fox totally just bit it on this fox didn't know what the hell they were doing just like they didn't with freaky links ah oh. freaky yeah, links was just fantastic here we go <laughs> I get you. I, honestly I think Freaky Links might have been a little ahead of its time. I know Freaky I, Links was
2: way ahead of I its time. I know you
0: say that, you know, I, I might say that a little too loosely, but it was. it, it, it was a show for the YouTube generation in nineteen ninety-nine. You know, seven years before YouTube existed. That's being really ahead of your goddamn time. And again, thank you, Fox. Continuity-based show. Let's Air the episode's out of order, so they're constantly referring to next week's episode in the past tense. Brr, 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 mumble, mumble, grumble,
2: gripe. Oh, I loved it. I thought uh Ethan Embry was such a like likable lead. And it played off the whole like 90s like uh their their vision of hackers, where there was all these kids wearing wildly ugly clothes with flashy colors, and they're tracking down all this weird shit through the internet and yeah it definitely was just too far ahead of its time because nobody really thought about that stuff back then and it was a shame cuz watching it now it holds up even more because it's like they predicted a lot of things
0: and in and all honesty the second episode 313 is just a fine fine horror hour i remember the episode 313 just making my skin crawl the uh the, the love interest Chloe, was, was, she was just beautiful. She was also on the Chronicle. The thing with Freaky Links that I think set it apart from anything else was the character dynamics. The way the characters interacted with one another was almost more important and more of a draw than whatever monster they were tracking down that week. And that's what I liked is the way the characters dealt with each other. You know, we've gone over some older horror series. Do you think there's any modern ones, any modern horror on TV that actually works because like, I know this is going back almost a decade now, but like when they tried that Kolchak the night stalker reboot, it all, it, you know, the first, the biggest mistake they made with that thing was the first three episodes were f-ing awful. Then after that, after they'd pissed their whole audience away after the first three terrible episodes, there wasn't a single dud among them, but the ratings were already gone. Do you think that that modern horror, do you think something like Kolchak the night stalker, Tales from the Dark Side, or even Friday the 13th, the series, leaving out the Warehouse 13 ripoff part, can work with today's television audience? I think it could. Yeah,
2: I think it can be done. I think that uh, it definitely needs to have some time to grow, uh, which is this thing that TV doesn't seem to understand anymore. It's like you don't have a show that is immediately a hit. You know, you
0: have to give it at least a season to uh, find its audience. And see, I I don't disagree with that. I don't think the same type of show can work anymore. Because, I mean, you've got absolute trash like True Blood being one of the most popular horror series of the last decade. It's garbage. It is terrible on every conceivable level. And that is what people go for now. They go for The Walking Dead. I mean, hell, Z Nation, that asylum show on Sci-Fi is Children of Men with zombies. They even have a black character with long braided hair that wields a sword. No, we're totally not a Walking Dead ripoff. No, 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 we're totally original. God, I hate the asylum. The pilot episode alone showed there's nothing whatsoever original in this. Every beat is either from The Walking Dead or Children of Men. And it is it is it is Children uh. of Men. Hey, we've, we've got a guy who's immune to zombie bites. We've got to get him to Washington, D.C., And then they just every beat of the of Children of Men, the movie, they follow it. But with zombies, I'm like, just screw you, Asylum. Screw you.
2: Well, maybe they'll also rip off 2019, which is what Children of Men ripped off.
1: I did see the trailers. They were Aaron during Sharknado, too. It intrigued me. And I'm like, hey, I want to watch this. But you know what? I thought motivation died after a few more trailers. I'm like, well, they've. am I wrong that this is a this is Children of Men meets The Walking Dead? It is. I mean, I'm willing to give it a shot, but mostly because of Harold Perrineau.
0: It hasn't aired yet, but the Constantine TV show that NBC is putting out, I've seen the original pilot. They've already said it's way getting retooled before that pilot, because that pilot was just awful. It seems like they're still trying these horror series, but I think something like Constantine, modern horror on TV, can't work, I think, on NBC, CBS Fox or ABC. Maybe on Sci-Fi, maybe on AMC, maybe on TNT where you can get away with a little bit more. I'm not talking about the excesses of The Walking Dead kind of gore, but you need to be able to push the boundaries a little bit. Like as bad as that NBC Dracula series was last year, you could tell they were it was pretty neutered already and they were pushing the boundaries of what NBC would let them get away with. That show might actually still be on the air if instead of NBC it had been it had been a chiller original. So I think modern over-the-air network horror can't work anymore. It just the market has changed too much.
2: Well, that's why now we have um, a lot of the shows are going to cable and are going to Netflix and stuff. Um, it's that the networks are a little scared and they'll do something like The Vampire Diaries, which I watched the first like season and enjoyed. I watched but the it was, pilot
0: and went nope.
2: It was clear that this was aimed at a younger demographic.
0: Where can people find you if they want to make create a horror anthology out of your sniffly, panty-stealing ass? GeekJuiceMedia.com Cecil, do you want your T8? You want your HE back? Then sure. Tell pe- then tell people where they can, where they can contact the robot.
2: Uh, they can contact the robot at GoodBadFlix.com as
0: well as GeekJuiceMedia.com. You can find me at 1201Beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201Beyond at gmail.com. And whatever you do, the asylum must be stopped. And I am currently setting my TiVo to record Z Nation. You sellout piece of crap. <laughs>